Welcome to HealthCast, the heartbeat of health IT. The COVID-19 vaccine is out and people are clamoring to get it. Fraudsters know this and they're taking advantage of it. COVID-19 vaccine fraud is a rampant problem these days. Police and federal enforcement agencies are getting waves of calls each day reporting instances and attempts of fraud from people trying to sell the COVID-19 vaccine over the phone and internet. And it's hurting thousands of people, causing terrible financial losses and identity theft. We're here today to learn more about how this fraud is happening and how you can protect yourself and others from falling victim to it. Here to help me learn about it is Health and Human Services Office of Inspector General Special Agent in Charge, Nanette Day. She'll tell us how she's catching vaccine fraudsters and how you can protect yourself from fraudsters out there as well. This will be a part of government CIO Media and Research's ongoing reporting about counter-vaccine fraud efforts across the country and developments in the vaccination space. All right, Nanette, thank you for joining us on HealthCast today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So we're here today to discuss the COVID-19 vaccine fraud. But first of all, can you start by telling us what exactly the vaccine fraud is and how HHS OIG plays a role in identifying, understanding, and countering it? Well, the interesting thing is that the vaccine fraud is, it's just like any other fraud. The fraudsters are just using the same techniques. Basically, what they're looking at is, what is the process to get a vaccine? And then they use that process for their phishing schemes. So that's really one area. The other area, of course, that we are concerned about is that there would be any type of fake vaccines being sold or being peddled on the internet or otherwise. So it's those two general areas, but you know what? It's nothing really new. It's the fraudsters using the same schemes, just picking the vaccine environment to do it. Before the vaccine fraud became a prevalent issue, HHS also dealt with COVID-19 testing fraud. Can you tell me some trends or broad statistics that your office has found about that, when it peaked, and how it transformed into vaccine fraud? So it started immediately in March, whenever the COVID lockdown started, we started having COVID schemes already beginning. The fraudsters, they're always in lockstep with us. And so basically, as we started rolling out testing, they were rolling out their fraud schemes, right? And so we're already up to over 2,000 complaints just to the HHS Office of Inspector General related to COVID schemes. And that's a very large number and it continues to grow. We're not seeing it slow down, but exactly as you mentioned, we're seeing it switch now from testing to vaccines. Now, the testing fraud has not gone away. We're still getting reports of you know fly-by-night testing sites showing up with a tent and a table in a parking lot saying that they're offering COVID testing and they basically put a Q-tip in someone's nose after they've collected all their personal information. So it's not going away, but we also are seeing it now associated around vaccine appointments and we're even seeing it related to relief funds. People are being told that they could get COVID grants from Health and Human Services or that they could get some type of COVID relief, and they will be asking them again to provide their personal information. 
Lastly, we saw that they were offering people opportunities to participate in COVID vaccine trials to be paid for that participation. But in order to get paid, you had to give them your bank account information. Again, it was all just a scam. Right. So it's not just you know, the issue of getting the vaccine itself, but it really is a multi-pronged issue of fraud. Now that this issue of fraud with COVID in general is one of the biggest concerns for HHS OIG, are there any other statistics about the rates at which fraud is occurring that you can share? And maybe some other examples of how it's impacting people. So the interesting thing is that, you know, The number of fraud schemes that are out there, they're increasing, right? Every single day, we kind of see something new and something comes into the hotline and we're like, okay, now they're sending text messages to people saying you need to click on this link, or now they're sending emails that you need to do this, or they're now calling people on the phone with this new type of scheme. So they're constantly evolving. The statistics, you know, like I said, we generally, we can see up to 30 complaints in a single day. Across the, you know, across the board on just COVID, just a COVID-related scam. And that's actually a really high number for us. It is crossing the entire country. We're getting complaints from every state in the country. So we know also from that that it's very widespread. So that's really what our statistics are showing us is that it's a growing problem and it's very widespread, but it also morphs almost on a daily basis. You know, what the ultimate downfall of all this, you know, the thing that really does happen that makes us concerned is that the more people that are taken advantage of, the more they get afraid of the process. They worry, you know, is this a scammer? Am I actually dealing with a legitimate entity? And, you know, to some extent degrades people's confidence in the process. And that's really the worst part of all this fraud is that outcome. So what we really ask people to do is to take the reins in their hand and become proactive when they're seeking out a vaccine, become proactive when they're trying to find a testing site, and to not respond to unsolicited contacts, because that really is your biggest marker, and it's the biggest red flag is an unsolicited contact. We're telling people to be proactive, go to their county or state Department of Health websites to get the right information and to find out which of these sources are legitimate. Speaking of being proactive, you mentioned your hotline. Can you explain a little bit about this and how people can access it if they are encountered with fraud schemes? Absolutely. Our hotline operates 24 hours a day on the web, which is tips.hhs.gov. And then we also have a call center, which operates from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and there's also a messaging system, so you can always leave a message and they will call you back. And that number is 800-HHS-TIPS. And that line is specifically set up and for the public to report these types of things to us. And we, even if we're not the proper entity to respond to it, we will transfer it to the entity who is proper. So it's a great hotline to call. It's a place that you can ensure a human will be reviewing your report. It's not something that's you know just automated and it goes into some database and it's never seen. We take these complaints very seriously and a human reviews every single tip that comes into us. I also wanted to come back to that point about how you said that fraud morphs on a daily basis. You know, I'm sure you collect lots of data that 
informs trends in how fraud schemes happen. How do you aggregate data that comes in from your call lines and make insights about how that fraud evolves? Well, the interesting thing is, you know, and I know this is really, you know, more about technology, and we certainly do use technology to scan the narratives of our complaints and to determine trends from that process. But really, where we get the largest bang for our buck is the fact that we have humans reviewing this and we're regularly collaborating to determine if there's a new scheme. So, for example, at our call center, If they see a new scheme, I'm immediately notified. And through the website, the people who process those complaints, if they see something new, I'm immediately notified. So that really ends up being the gold standard is basically having humans reading, evaluating, and bringing any new trend immediately to my attention so that I can not only let our law enforcement partners know about it, but I can also share that information with our public affairs department who does a fantastic job with putting out public awareness notices so that really in today's world, a new fraud trend could come into the hotline and I would let our public affairs office know about it. And within a day or so, they may have already put out a public awareness campaign. So we're fighting this as fast as it's coming in. You know, I also wanted to touch upon some of the real life stories of how fraud is really impacting people in real time. One story I heard is about how a woman was scammed and her medical insurance data was used to bill for someone else who had COVID-19 in a hospital. Essentially, her identity was stolen. What instances like this are occurring across the country that you've gleaned from COVID-19 fraud? Well, the interesting thing about, you know, and that's a, an extraordinary story, but it actually is not that extraordinary. We were seeing it in the opioid arena regularly. And it's what is called medical identity theft. Somebody steals your medical identity in order to receive treatment or prescriptions. And so with the opioid abuse problem, people were having their identity stolen and then they were showing up at pain clinics or other doctor's offices purporting to be that individual in order to obtain an opioid prescription. So that's where we were really seeing this area We were seeing the largest problem was in that area. And now we have seen and started to get the first reports of people actually going in to be treated for COVID and giving somebody else's identity and information. And then, of course, that person's insurance is being billed. So it's not something that we have seen widespread in the COVID arena. I noted it because it was interesting to see that it had morphed from the opioid area into COVID. And so also it's really a good understanding of what happens and what can happen if somebody steals your medical identity and then goes into a facility to be treated for you. That's what is on record now. Their information is what's on record as actually being the information that should pertain to you. So it's dangerous at a lot of levels. Certainly. I kind of want to go to the fraud itself and the logistics of how it occurs. What are some of the ways in which fraudsters scheme their plots? Is it mostly over the phone or is it online? And how do you catch these fraudsters amid these schemes? So you're exactly right. It's, you know, it's online. It's through social media. It's, you know, either calling on the phone or texting. 
it's almost always an unsolicited contact. I mean, across the board, that's your red flag. It will come in an unsolicited manner. It's the phone call that you answer that you don't know who it is, right? And so that really is their typical avenue. You know, we've seen, you know, Craigslist postings offering the vaccine for sale. We've seen it being posted on message boards at apartment complexes. Hey, I have a vial of the vaccine for sale for $500. You know, we see these types of things generally because the electronic environment and the telephone environment keeps them hidden, right? So it's not as often that you're encountering this in the physical world, except sometimes you do. So, you know, we've seen the fake sites where they are offering COVID testing. We also have gotten a situation, it's very concerning, where they call somebody on the phone, usually it's a Medicare beneficiary, and offer to come into their house to do testing. And they show up at their house, they let them in their home, and they proceed to do basically a fake COVID test, but they've collected all their personal information. So that's kind of the gamut, but it's spread out. It's in the physical world. It's on the phone. It's electronic. They're really everywhere. And how do you catch these fraudsters? And that's also the trick, right? The, you know, we have been successful in catching them and prosecuting them. Often they're overseas, which of course provides jurisdictional issues for us, makes it harder to, you know, to catch them. But we are usually following the money when there's money associated. When it comes to identity theft, it's usually not the person that stole the identity, but the person who's using the identity that gets caught. So we do catch them, but we're never going to really litigate our way out of this problem, right? I like to, I always like to say it's like trying to exterminate cockroaches by stepping on them one at a time. What you have to do is you have to cut off their source. And so really the most important aspect of this is to prevent the crime. And you're helping us do that right now by getting these public awareness, you know, messages out there by educating people and what to look for and how not to fall for it, because that's how we cut off their supply. And that's how we end up really ending the problem and killing the problem is by cutting off its supply. And so our biggest challenge is to make people aware, to help them know how to recognize these problems and not fall prey to them. I also wanted to touch upon how certain people are at risk for fraud. Perhaps older people who tend to be at home aren't as tech savvy and are generally the kinds of people who are at risk for these kinds of scams. How can we protect these populations since we're talking about the issue of prevention? And that's, I mean, that's such a great question because I always ask in any public awareness interview that I do, that if you have elderly in your life, you know, in your circle anywhere, that it really is important to teach them how to recognize these frauds. I mean, I've taught my own mother. She does not answer the phone and talk to strangers. She knows that if she answers the phone and it isn't somebody that she knows, she'll just hang up. Better is to just let them leave a message and then find out what they need once they've left the message, right? So there's things that we can do to help our, you know, seniors in the community learn about this, learn how to react and not fall prey to it. Um, you know, the most heartbreaking thing is that we, and I, I see this complaint come in regularly. Somebody says, you know, my mother has dementia and they called and they were preying on the fact that, you know, that she was confused, that type of thing. And so 
in those instances, you really want to help them have either a script so that they don't have to remember what they say or do a better job of managing the types of calls that are allowed to come in, right? And so it really is incumbent on us to try to protect our seniors and to try to educate them and to try to mitigate the avenues by which a fraudster could get access to them. Also, what would you say are some of the best practices that you would recommend for people in catching themselves for falling for fraud schemes generally? So the first best practice is not to respond to an unsolicited contact. When that call, email, text, social media contact comes out of the blue, you should have a red flag go up in your head, right? It's like, I don't respond to unsolicited contacts. So that's the first thing. You just need to have that as a policy. The second thing is, if you are going to entertain an unsolicited contact, you have to do your due diligence and verify that they are a legitimate entity. You need to ask them questions. You could even hang up and say, I'll call you back after I've done a verification of who you are. A fraudster is going to pressure you so that you don't do that, but a legitimate entity is going to welcome that. So those are the two areas right there with an unsolicited contact. The other way is if you need a service like a COVID test or the vaccine is to seek out that information yourself. Go to known state and county websites. They have the information that the health departments in each state, they have websites and they're running the vaccine rollout. They're going to have the information there for you. Who is legitimate? Where can you go? Even information on how the rollout is being done so that you know if an unsolicited contact comes in, that's not even how your state vaccine procedure is even working. So be proactive. And that's another way that you can thwart these fraudsters. Right. You know, HHS OIG isn't the only agency working to catch and prevent vaccine fraud. What other agencies are you collaborating with and what are your roles and partnership looking like? Well, we immediately launched the COVID fraud working group shortly after this pandemic began. And it's a very large cooperative with the Department of Justice, the FBI, the DEA. Obviously, you know, we're a very big player in that. We have other inspectors general participating that may be affected like the VA. So there's a large group that was started at the very beginning, and we meet on a weekly basis, and that's exactly what we do. We share information to battle this so that each agency knows how it may affect their programs. And we share fraud trends. We you know, talk about you know, prosecutions, that type of thing. So it's a very large working group, and it's a lot of great collaboration and information sharing that was stood up at the very beginning of the pandemic and continues today. I also want to ask you about what internal collaboration within HHS looks like itself. Are you working across HHS to learn more about the vaccine itself and proper processes and data to curb fraud? What does general collaboration across HHS look like in curbing vaccine-related fraud look like? So you're really hitting at the heart of what an inspector general does, right? It's, you know, we are the watchdog. We are always looking for fraud, waste, and abuse. And to that end, we have large audit inspection and evaluation groups within the inspector general that are constantly monitoring the programs within HHS and and specifically COVID-related programs to make sure that the programs are, you know, 
that they're well organized, that they're well thought out to try to keep fraud out of the programs. So it's not anything new for us at the Inspector General. It is our bread and butter. It is what we do every day. We are always working in collaboration with all of the operating divisions within HHS, which does include the CDC and the NIH and the FDA. And since this is a government <laughs> um, you know, podcast, I know I can use certain acronyms because we're all very aware of, of what they stand for. And so we've always been working across the aisle with them to try to keep fraud out of the program. And this is no different. As a matter of fact, I would probably say this is our highest level of collaboration to date. Lastly, I just want to look toward the future. What are you doing to get ahead of curbing vaccine fraud in the future and further fraud that comes from health trends that emerge as we've seen, you know, that testing vaccines and even more have been ripe for fraud abuse? As hard as we work to keep fraud out of the programs, I mean, you know, it is always going to be there. But the things that we do is really, it's kind of twofold. The first thing is always monitoring the trends, right? So our hotline operates and we're, you know, being notified within minutes sometimes that a new trend has come in. And that information is being transmitted to the various partners who have different tools, right? So I may call the um, public affairs office and say, hey, can we put out a you know, public awareness on this? We may call another law enforcement entity and say, hey, you might want to look at this. This could be coming up in your area. So it's, you know, being very, very fast on the trigger, I guess, is one way to say it. We're monitoring and we're turning around the information as soon as possible. And that's when we see a trend happen. In general, though, we're always looking to make sure that the programs are structured so that fraud cannot be a part of it. And then if it is, we work quickly to determine, you know, how are we going to find the fraud? How are we going to root it out? And so, you know, we're having this turnaround now in just a matter of days when we're seeing trends being turned around into actual actionable items. And so that's what we're doing. You're never going to be able to keep fraud out 100%. But if you act quickly and you get these types of, you know, interviews and you get public awareness out there and you really work hard to educate the public, then that's the best thing that you can do to limit the effect of it. Well, we certainly learned a lot today, and I appreciate you taking the time to share your work and best of luck encountering all the fraud moving forward. And thank you so much for having us and helping us get this information out there. HealthCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentciomedia.com slash podcasts. If you liked what you heard, let us know by leaving a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. HealthCast is produced by Amy Kluber, hosted by Melissa Harris, Adam Patterson, and Faith Ryan. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com.